Betty once told Jerry to speak into the microphone or I'm going to break your neck, Jerry. All right. So I guess we're about ready to go, yeah? Cool. Well, welcome to the uh, Epic Festival and Art Experiences panel uh, here at the SF Music Tech Summit. This may be the least tech-oriented panel discussion you'll see here today. We'll try and tie in some technology talk at some point here, but uh, definitely have a pretty interesting topic and a great group uh, to talk over this topic with. And uh, my name is Matt Hogan. I'm with Sci Fidelity Records and Madison House Presents. Thank you. Madison House Presents uh, puts on festivals like Rothbury and Electric Forest in Michigan, uh, has worked with uh, Non Salon on Sea of Dreams events here in San Francisco and, and does some Hornings Hideouts events up in uh, Oregon. But I will let the rest of the panelists introduce themselves because they could do it better than me. And we'll start down at the end there with Leo. Cool. I'm Leo Nitzberg. I work with uh, Golden Voice Operations for Coachella and Stagecoach. I also produce a couple of our other festivals, one called FYF and H2O. Work with a handful of startups, and uh, that's it. Uh, my name is Peter Hudson, and I make large-scale sta- uh, kinetic sculptures that I have lately, the last several years, have been exhibiting it. Initially made for Burning Man, but have been bringing them to a lot of other festivals around the world. My name is Corinne Zwadek, and I'm from beautiful BC, up in Canada. I'm the executive producer of Shambhala Music Festival. Uh, I've been doing it. <laughs> Thank you. I've been, uh, it's on my family farm, and I've been with the show since its beginning. I'm Freddie Hahn. I'm uh, past president of the board of directors for the Rex Foundation, created in 1983 by the Grateful Dead, one of whom is sitting over there on my right doing the sound, Betty. I am also president of the board of directors for the Black Rock Arts Foundation, created by the creators of Burning Man in 2001. And uh, on my left is the inimitable Joe Bullock. Hi, my name is Joe Bullock. It is spelled J-O-E-G-H, if you're writing that down. It's Northern Californian. And I am the uh, producer and uh, artistic director of three street fairs here in the Bay Area, the Superhero Street Fair, which just took place over the weekend, the Howard Street Fair, which is downtown at 2nd and Howard, and the originator and founder of the Burning Man Decompression Street Fair, which is happening October 13th. I also produced two uh, large indoor events, one called Masquerotica, which is coming up at the Sound Factory, and that's kind of an erotic Halloween party, and also Sea of Dreams, which I've worked with many of the people in this room on as well. That's a big, you know, kind of a artistic-based music art extravagance type of a festival, indoor event. All right. So diving right in, I mean, I think topic of this panel is basically, you know, over the past few years, I think we've seen music festivals everywhere adopting arts and interactive experiences as one of the key components of the event. And it's really gotten to the point now where the arts aspect is equally as important as the music in an effort to create a participatory experience and a spectacle for attendees from the minute that they get on site in between the music sets and even during them. And so I guess I just wanted to kind of consult the panel here on, on their opinion on how they've seen that develop over the years. Maybe we could start with Freddie the integration of art into the music experience? Well, I I remember standing in front of the Grateful Dead for many, many shows and and wondering, I'm kind of tired of listening to Jerry and watching Jerry and Bob. And I I would think of, you know, under certain stimulants, uh, think of things that would make it more interesting. And when the Grateful Dead would begin to play Mardi Gras shows and Chinese New Year's along with their New Year's extravagandas, they all had... In particular, the New Year's shows had art components where Bill Graham would ride in on a joint or he'd ride in on a great big world surrounded by dancers. And the Grateful Dead allowed us to start doing that for Chinese New Year's and for Mardi Gras. And we would create these elaborate Mardi Gras parades that would go right through the middle of the show while the Grateful Dead were performing. And to me, that was more fascinating than going to the show. And what we found were all these deadheads would come out of the audience that were artists that would help us create these things. And it was this enormous, elaborate affair that was so stimulating, so creative, it just perpetuated itself into people wanting to do that more so than going to the show. And the same thing happens with, you know, it, it evolved in the festivals. I recall Lollapalooza when that started. Uh, Bill Graham Presents, who produced a lot of the Grateful Dead and Rolling Stone shows, asked a group of us artists to help create an ambiance in the uh, outside of the arena, besides where the, the show was being performed. 
And one of the early Burning Man artists came in and piled up 80 pianos. And, and you know, there were just all these junk pianos. And all the kids would come in and start pounding away on these pianos. And a mile away, you could hear the hum. And it was just, it was thrilling. It created huge energy. It was extremely creative. And that was, it became participatory. It was really fun. Joe, do you want to chime in on that one? I was going to say, um, I started doing events like 30 years ago. I had an art gallery called the 20 by 20 Gallery, and we used to have people come in and see the art on the walls. And we realized people weren't really buying the art, but they'd be happy to buy a glass of wine and dance afterwards. So we started having these night spot kind of parties where people would start to integrate art and music at that time. And that's when I began to realize that art was important to the nightlife experience. And I think how we begin is with a little piece of card, a 4 by 6 card, usually designed by an excellent designer like Zach Darling over here, who designs a lot of our stuff. This is what creates the theme for our events, and that's the flag and the banner that we wave above us, and from there we actually begin to figure out what kind of art is going to best represent that theme and start to integrate that. So that's where we start the, the curation process of what kind of art and then what are, are we going to add to that mix to really make that dream and that theme come true. And that's why I've worked it uh, for most of my career in doing these kinds of events because I do believe that art is important to the experience of the dance. Let's face it, people are there to dance, they're there to have fun, they're there to meet each other. For us, it's always been kind of a conversation starter, an icebreaker, if you will. These things are set up, drinking the whole nine yards for people to meet and greet. That's how it used to be before there was DJs and you just dance to the DJ only and not with each other anymore. But... The idea is that you're supposed to meet some girlfriend or something there in some kind of way, and the art was a vehicle for that expression, for that, hey, what do you think of this piece, or what did you think of that sculpture there? And that goes back, as Freddie was saying, to the early days of, of sort of the tunnel and the, the, the performance art days, the art installation days back in the early 80s, where art became part of the whole club industry as being this kind of almost Andy Warhol-esque type of a situation, and then kind of feathered into where we are now, I guess. With, with the bigger event productions and, and the um, kind of like the rave scene then turned into the current electronic dance music scene, which is, of course, huge right now. I think the New York Times stated it being a $47 billion a year industry. Well, we're talking big money these days for an industry that started out being a rave scene, and, uh, and this is something to be acknowledged, and therefore there's bigger budgets for art, bigger op opportunities for artists to become involved, and I think all the producers here understand the need for art, for content, and for something for people to sink their teeth into to have intention for an event. I think the key word there is intention. Somebody else talk. <laughs> so, you know, I think Joe definitely really touched on something, and that's coming up with an initial aesthetic and really carrying that through everything that you do. And not just really focusing on one particular element of the show or the experience, but really building something that's larger than that, that's tangible in many different ways that people can walk away from. You know, when you walk into a show, you can really tell a difference when a producer is looking at the whole cus customer experience or the whole fan experience, or if they're just focusing on the talent. And the shows that really survive are the ones that focus on the entire experience so that when you walk, you're completely immersed in something you're looking at the art. The art's tied into the stages. You know, definitely something that, that Corrine does and Shambhala does really, really well that some producers are great at. Insomniac is tying in that whole experience, bringing it in their stages so you're not just looking at a stage, but you're looking at an art piece. You're watching the show. You're looking at art pieces surrounding you, and you're in this entire experience. And that's something that we really strive for, that the the lasting festivals I think all really do a great job at and it's yeah thanks so much yeah I kind of want to toss the executive producer title and call myself an experiential architect because I think as a producer that's really what I do is I lay the bones of an amazing creation and it's not all me I can't play tunes <laughs> and I can't paint either but I try to get as many of those folks out there as to have this experience that's all artistic and I think it's so good in, in the day and age that we're at that you can immerse yourself in Electric Daisy Carnival or Burning Man, Coachella even and really feel community and feel like you can be as creative you have the permission to be a creative individual and participate you know the, the originators of all this were really Ken Kesey and the Merry Pranksters and it goes back to the days before LSD was illegal 
And what they would do is they'd rent a hall, they'd decorate it up with multimedia stuff with all kinds of projectors and, and light show stuff, and the Grateful Dead would come in and put their equipment in. And the, everybody paid a dollar to get in, everybody, including the band. Everybody got a hit of acid. And the trip was, can you pass the acid test? And what that meant was, can you stay in that room immersed with us for the entire evening? And now, you, don't, you know, obviously LSD is illegal, and we don't need that so much anymore. But, you know, you can take it or not. And if you don't, you don't even need it to experience what that effect is on you. I see it at Burning Man all the time. I see it at the other festivals. It's really something that uh, you don't even need drugs to experience. That said... So, so what is it about... <laughs> you, guys, you guys have all been dosed. We just want you to experience this with us. Can you pass? <laughs> so what is it about uh, music festivals and concerts and events that provide sort of the perfect setting for people to experience art? Well, I, I think that it's a respite from that. I think that it's an it's a analog gathering point. It gives people, especially the way that my art works, people are very involved in trying to figure out how to work together to make it work. So it's making people meet each other and, and, and come together and make something happen. And uh, I think it's a it's a it's forcing people to look at each other and stop looking at their phones. Yeah, I always like to say that festivals are the last bastion of human connection <laughs> in our society right now. And, and you know, I, th- I think Corinne, you could you could speak a little bit about the the yeah. setting that you try and create at Shambhala. Yeah, and I, I'd like to touch on too. I really do think that the digital world brings on that community because we all connect, but we're we're not all living in the same place. We don't have our town square anymore. But what we see are people traveling from festival to festival to festival. I mean, I see the same people in BC as I see in LA as I see in Las Vegas. So there's a lot of people that are friends and they they're friends online. They connect. And then, you know, the cell phone goes out the window, and they're there to dance and experience and be with new people. So at Shambhala, we have no sponsorship, and we have no advertising. Uh, we're a little bit of a different model. Than I'm jealous. So. <laughs> <laughs> but we really think that our ticket buyers are our sponsors. They're the ones that are really making it happen. They're the ones that have the passion and the joy and the fan base. And we want to give as much to them as possible. So... Uh, we build. Um, we also have our own family farm, and where we can build on our art year after year after year. So we'll build a building, and then we'll invite artists to come and paint the side of it. We have these beautiful, beautiful murals all over the farm. We work on our gardens. Um, we really we had this whole philosophy. It's all about the people on the dance floor, and we really focused on our stages and integrating the art into the stages. Um, and then we figured people want a central space to connect at like a, a town square. So we converted our downtown section into gardens, art installations, kind of the yin and the yang of the festival. You can be speaking five different languages and share a, a common moment on the dance floor, or you can go and meet people in, in the common areas and be inspired by what you see. They're like Baptists that attend all these things. You know, you, you, you go for three or four days, you get really high on whatever you're doing, and you walk away with a common shared experience. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, when you leave there, you think about those experiences and you go back to your communities, and hopefully you can keep that sense of being and that community going where you live with your neighbors and with your fellow burners, your fellow Shambhalans, or, you know, whatever it is that you're doing. Shambhalites. <laughs> How many people here are artists, would you say? Raise your hand proudly. Yes. Thank you. Yes. And thank you for being here and supporting art in music. Uh, I'm glad to see that uh, this festival, this affair is now putting on art in some of the lobbies and stuff and the decorations as well, of which I've had a little part in. I was going to say, too, that these festivals and these events that we're a part of now have changed quite a bit from the Grateful Dead days, which were also community-based, but now are even more community-based. People are not going to events just to see the bands anymore. They're going for the entire experience, the community, and to live at the festival. While they're living at the festival, they meet each other, they greet each other, and they say, well, let's meet at the giant uh, tree. Or let's meet at the, at the monkey uh, sculpture over there. And they use these places as icons and as places to gather. So they become little churches unto themselves. That, I think, is very significant to the overall community that we're all part of now. And this community, as Freddie says, with the Burning Man world, is all across the entire world. But whoever saw that movie, was it the, the rave movie with the nod, where you just kind of nodded when you knew, saw somebody that you recognized as part of your world? 
you can nod to a hell of a lot of people these days and know by their look or by their dress or how they, just their experiences that you see in their eyes that they are a part of this world. And this world is much bigger than we imagine. So there we go. Back in the early 80s, a group of us used to go to Grateful Dead shows, and we'd always meet at light pole number seven in the parking lot. One time we went to a show, and there was no light pole number seven, and we were all lost. So I I created a large light pole number seven that we used to take, and that's how we found each other. (laughs) So then how do you, as as producers and event organizers, then try and cultivate that and encourage uh, attendees to really take what they're experiencing at the festival and and bring it back into their day-to-day lives so it's not just a three- or four-day experience? We actually, uh, a couple years ago, we started doing art workshops. We, We have a community, particularly for Coachella, uh, out in the desert, we work with a couple of people that work with a local museum out there. And so we have all these artists that we bring in. And, and in the campgrounds, people are out there. They're building uh, all different types of whether doing small installations or they're just making postcards for their friends. You know, I think as an overall message, you know, you guys really bring something different to the table where it's, it's really more of a lifestyle. I think people can come to a festival like Coachella or like Bonnaroo and have an incredible experience and really a great time and meet a lot of new friends that they can uh, they can grow with. But but you guys really bring more of a lifestyle element that I think can carry through well, in, you, in other ways. Well, you, you take like uh, you know uh, one of the early uh, comments about Burning Man was uh, uh, participate, don't spectate. Now you take Peter. Peter works with a, an enormous army of volunteers and people who really get into helping Peter create the wonderful works of art he does. And those people bring their friends that want to come and participate with it. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Was it Joe asking about who's an artist out here? That just really struck me because before I had ever seen this type of art, I never considered myself an artist. Mm. And I had, had said, wow. And I think that that's what this art does, especially the experience that I've had at festivals, specifically outside of Burning Man. You're talking to people that are looking, just going, "Oh my God, what am I looking at? What what is is this?" And that, and I'm like, "You could do that, you know." It's 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 like it's it's showing them the, the possibilities of what you can do. And I think for me, the, what my art really does a lot is it inspires. And that the art there's art that inspired me to do what I do, and I'm just hoping that my art will also inspire others to go out and do whatever fantasies they have. And I think that it's a great platform for. For people that aren't used to seeing this, that don't go to Burning Man, yeah. to see this type of art and community building, and to to realize that more, oh, I could do, that. I could do something, you know. And I think that's to me, that's really important. I, you know, I think your team, whether you're a startup founder or you're a producer or a founder, the the passion of your team is going to carry through all the elements of your event. It's going to trickle down not only through your staff, but the fans are going to feel that. And you know, you guys are often. Uh, the first ones on site before any of the production it's the art pieces that take the longest to build and it's just an incredible experience to watch and to have that become a part of our festival and what we do just really adds uh, another layer and I think social media can play a huge role in keeping the vibe alive throughout the year I think we a lot of us connect that way and then I, I forgot to tell you all, we bought a nightclub so that we can keep, <laughs> we bought a nightclub uh, in our local town because so many of our artists want to come back and uh, so we've created a venue where we can have a little bit of Shambhala 365 days of the year. Uh, I'll tell you, be careful with those nightclubs. Uh, <laughs> Joe and I were involved in a nightclub that's now the stud south of market uh, that we sold it to called Club Nine and in the early days, we had to fire our first coat check girl because uh, she'd check coats in and steal stuff out of the coats. And, and, you know, and, and then she and her friends, we found out, were shooting up in the coat check room. And when we fired her, she turns around and goes, fuck you guys, you're going to regret this. I'm going to be famous someday. Fuck you. And she was right. <laughs> it, was, it was Courtney Love. And I was going to say about social media and art as well. Like I worked on an event last year called Wisdom 2.0 at the Concourse. And this is spirituality meets technology. And the years before this, they were held in hotel lobbies similar to this one with no art whatsoever. Here we we brought in a whole lot of art, Burning Man art, different sculptures, um, 
lots of cool stuff, Buddhas, all kinds of things like this. And what happened was that everybody started taking their pictures in front of some of these art pieces. And of course, once they took their pictures, they'd post them on Facebooks and all kinds of social media. This never happened at this event before, and it happens at something like Burning Man and all the events that we do all the time. So this is hugely shoving out this art and this this vision of what all these festivals are about people see these things and go I want to go there next year that looks like fun I've never seen anything like that before from New Jersey so they, they, they decide they want to check these events out and these events all have this common integrity I'd say involved now where they do all have the greatest music they can possibly put on the venue we all try and outdo each other that way but we also try to add content and the best content that we can afford and that's not always easy because you have increased costs with, with police costs venue costs insurance costs so sometimes art is the icing on the cake the thing you can't afford but the thing you need the most this becomes a problem for producers especially ones that don't have sponsorships and maybe we can talk about that yeah i think you know one of the the finances uh, obviously of making these art installations is certainly uh, worth discussing and, and what are some of the challenges that you guys have experienced and and kind of uh you know leo what has been your experience with with budgets uh you know over the last few years and and trying to make this a priority uh, at the events you know yeah i mean it's it's always been a struggle especially when you have any one of those large pieces that's really it's a you know that you want to be a beacon at your festival or at your event, uh, it's not cheap. <laughs> uh, from materials to just the the team and, and the engineering, and Peter can talk more uh, about those details than I can. Uh, but we've just, you know, we've been really lucky. We've, as far as that piece is concerned, you know, we've really kept the the sponsorship side out of that. Uh, you know, I think one of the one of the things that we did do, which was probably one of the best sponsorship activations that I've ever seen at any type of event was the uh, the Intel and uh, and Vice, uh, what they did with the Creators Project. Um, really, really great and just an incredible seamless integration into not only what the artists were doing at the event, but also just that the piece that they did at, at our show. But um, I just want... I'm talking in circles here, but... Yeah, but one thing I think you do really well, though, you're able to really highlight the music and the technology together. I mean, we're talking about Avicii, seven semis of production for one set. So a lot of these artists are taking the next step into being able to do visuals. Uh, they bring their own lighting sets. They bring, sometimes they bring their own stages. <laughs> so the little ice cream truck from... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and you guys are doing a lot as well as far as mapping is concerned. You know, yeah. it's a, a, lot, a lot of this technology is kind of, even though it's been around, it's in some ways in its infancy. Uh, but it's pretty incredible if, you know, yeah. you guys start checking out uh, mapping. Yeah, we invest as much money. I think for our stages, we have six unique stages. And for each of those, we invest in an art budget for those stages. So they're required to make it pretty and make it better than it was the year before. And we really encourage a lot of technology out there as well. The video mapping has been incredible. It's it's uh, so much fun. And um, I was talking to someone from uh, Quebec, and he works with the RFIDs and video mapping, and he released a thousand white balloons with RFID tags inside and um, actually was able to project specifically onto the big white balls as people were playing with them around the audience because of the RFID tags. And I think there's a lot of fun stuff when you mix the technology and the art and, and just the sky's the limit. Well, it's one, th- one thing to use technology, but also, you know, when you're having large works of art created, a lot of people don't realize that there's a lot of costs that aren't covered in there. I'm sure Peter can address this, that, you know, you've got, you know, maybe you only allocated 100 bucks for paint, you know, and you're spending $1,000 on paint. And a lot of artists that create a lot of large works of art are artists. They're not business people, and they don't cover a lot of the expenses. Uh, At the Black Rock Arts Foundation, uh, what we try to do, our mission is to uh, export the art spirit and community of Burning Man to uh, instigate interactive art that stimulates civic engagement. So what we try to do is get works of art some that have already been created, um, such as the Burning Man works, and place them in civic environments. And what we try to do is cover all the costs. We know there's 
transportation. There's insurances we have to pay. There are city permits. We always try to build in uh, artist honorariums, and we try to raise those all the time to keep the artists engaged and wanting to work with us. So it's very important if you're going to produce an event to make sure that you treat the artists with respect and make sure you compensate them fairly because they work their butts off and expend a lot of money that's not covered even in the sale of a work of art oftentimes. So you really have to, uh, you know, respect the artist because they, they work hard and they're the people who are making you look good. Yeah. <laughs> Peter, did you maybe want to touch on some of the other logistical challenges uh, uh, that you're well, up against? Yeah, I mean, I'm really lucky to, to have been uh, awarded a, several grants through Burning Man, and that only generally covers about half, half of the costs. So right after that, it turns in, for me into a fundraising campaign. You know, before I even start building these things, um, and I don't know, I've uh, like the stuff that's been built specifically for events. I, I I'm bewilders me that that can happen where the money comes from from that because the happened to be this the scale of com- complexity of the work that I do is just. There's a lot of different components, electrical, mechanical, structural. For those who don't um, know, lighting. Peter makes the large-scale zoetrope uh, installations at Burning Man, if you've ever seen the Flying Monkeys or uh, <laughs> the Swimmer, uh, the, some of the other mind-blowing installations that you've seen <laughs> traveling around the country uh, making appearances at some of these festivals. Uh, just so you have a little context, I wish we had video so you could <laughs> actually get a taste of what he's talking about, but it's it's pretty amazing and, and quite complex, so sorry to interrupt there. <laughs> Peter, can I, can I ask you, Peter, how often your piece is change you know when you get to a site you know based on the environment do your pieces ever change i know you know sometimes i ask because we've had you know in particular uh an artist named gerard minicow that comes out and builds these huge elaborate bamboo pieces but sometimes the elements get in the way so he spends months designing this piece we get out there there's there's too much wind there's something so on the fly he's having to to adapt to those uh, elements and change Mm. My, I could see how his stuff is more organic. Like it can, can it can change. My stuff can't. <laughs> They're big machines, so you can't really change the components or anything like that. Um, uh, the one, it's more like how the hardest thing that happened to me was in Amsterdam. We we had to build this thing in this very small space, and the didn't have the right equipment, and, and it it. It was. It was more. Then, then it became more fun, like engaging with the people there, like a pop problem solving thing. <laughs> like, a, how are we going to do this? This isn't going to work. And it, it, but uh, I haven't had to. I mean, I, I, my things need very specific footings and anchors and stuff like that. So I haven't had to. Um, uh, what, what, well, actually, for uh, the first time that one of my pieces was shown publicly was uh, Hamora Boros in 2007, 2008. The Black Rock Arts Foundation funded bringing it down to the. Uh, um, Discovery uh, Museum. Children's Discovery Museum in San Jose, and we had to make all these modifications to bring it up to code because it was all wire nuts. <laughs> it's like zip yeah. cord, and so we had to, you know, put uh, you know conduit and make it all code compliant. And so that's something now I take into account when I'm making my art. I make it code compliant f- from the beginning, so it's not. I don't have to do a lot of refurbishing and redoing stuff on the on the fly. But I'm. I can't. I th- can't think of anything where I've actually had to change anything on the what, at a different location. I mean, just leveling stuff. That's it's my really, biggest concern. Peter mentions that you know it was the first one he made wasn't quite up to code. What I've seen a lot over the last ten years or so that the quality of the art and the the nature of the art has amplified so greatly that a lot of the uh, designers and artists that are creating these things are taking all that stuff into account now. And we're actually encouraging everybody to create it not only for Burning Man, but what happens after that. There's a whole evolution of art going on and and process and business now at Burning Man that, you know, we're encouraging artists to create stuff not only for the playa, but consider what happens to it after that. Where can it go for the next several years? I understand that, but somehow it scares me that art has to be up to code. (laughs) (laughs) Building inspectors for art. I can see it now. (laughs) That's a a great point, which you made, Freddie, and that's, I think, why I don't have that problem, because I take that... I'm learned now. I mean, I make my pieces to fit in a container. They can't be bigger than this, and they have to, you know, I'm what's what's I'm taking to more and more into account 
I mean, I want to make this fantastic, amazing experience, but if it takes a week to build it, you know, it, it's, it's a, so I'm trying to make these things more and more modular and more and more, uh, you know, just thinking a lot more about transporting and how to f- make a quick installation and quick strike. You know, you, you, you think of the, the things that Peter make, it, you know, it takes several semis to haul this stuff around. Yet at the same time, if you're creating an experience, if you're considering producing a festival or an event out there, think of the really subtle stuff that also has an impact. One of the one of the most remarkable experiences I ever had at Burning Man was about eight or nine years ago. I got on my bicycle and rode way out to the end, out to the fence, three miles out there. There's nothing there. And over about 100 yards away, I saw this ramshackle little shack, and I rode my bicycle over to it and walked inside. It was the most elegantly appointed tribute to Franz Kafka you could ever imagine. It had velvet walls, a writing desk, writing implements, books, photographs. It was just simple, and it was extremely effective, and it wasn't large. How did that make you feel? (laughs) Seriously. Like I wish I would have learned how to read. (laughs) But, I mean, the experience of discovering that. It it was incredible. It was at 7.30 in the morning. Uh, The sun was up. It was beautiful. I'd been out all night having the time of my life, and here was this unique, subtle, interesting, fascinating experience. Did you make that? So No, but <laughs> my, my point is that obviously art inspires people. Obviously, I think what it does at a festival or in a social environment is that it, it inspires. It um, also commands a certain respect for the festival and the people that put on the festival is what I'm guessing here. I'm guessing that that's relevant by the lack of fights that happen at these kinds of festivals or trash that's thrown on the floors, the way everybody greets and hugs each other all the time. I think that has something to do with the art because I think this gets people's hearts pumping a little bit differently. I know for me it causes butterflies in my stomach when I walk into a place that's decorated I feel like it's done just for me. And I feel really happy and proud to be there. I feel like I'm home. I feel like I'm really at the spot that I'm supposed to be and that people have honored me by going out of their way to create something beautiful for me to enjoy while I'm dancing, while I'm visiting with my friends, while I'm partying that whole weekend. And I'm proud of that. That's awesome. Yeah, and I think that's a big difference between a concert and a festival that embraces the full 360 experience. You know, we think about the journey of the festival goer from the time they hit the driveway and the road and what are they experiencing every little step of the way and what would I want that to be and how do I want to wow people every chance I can get and I think it's a much different model than "Mm, I'm going to get a band we're going to sell tickets it's going to be over (laughs) and we move on yeah that's really the key that I was touching on earlier as well yeah it's just the producers that pay attention to those little minute details are the ones that succeed and really have a, you know, a great experience for the fans. And it's things that most people don't even pay attention to. And you might walk in there and, and you're not even thinking about it, but there's something that's there and it's just this feeling that you have. Mm-hmm. You know, a, lot, a lot of the things that we do, if we're going onto a site, you know, some of the shows that we do, we have the, you know, we're, we're blessed to have an incredible surroundings. Right. Um, and then sometimes we go to a show and we're in downtown Los Angeles and we're surrounded by dirt and so it's thinking about how we can create an amazing environment in a not so great place uh-huh. um, and people like Peter definitely help with that a lot <laughs> I, I just wanted to uh, you were just mentioning a minute ago Gerard Minakawa yeah. um, it just so happens that his piece Starry Bamboo Mandala in 2006 at Burning Man was really the piece that re-inspired me to 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 create and that the monkeys were born from that so there's a case in point about seeing something out these things that totally inspire you and I think that's just an interesting coincidence that you brought his name up because his work specifically has deeply inspired me I think it's really exciting. It's like the development of culture. You know, in a modern day culture, we are a global society and we can affiliate with certain kinds of music, certain kinds of artistic scenes, certain locations that, yeah, reverb with us. And, and I think that's really amazing. Yeah. And I'd like to say, too, that, well, again, how many people as a kid have ever built a fort? Did you have a good time building a fort? Wasn't that fun? You brought stuff in your house. You snuck stuff away from your father's garage. You stole things here and there. And you built this fort collectively. 
that's kind of what we do now. Burning Man is now the biggest fort that I've ever been to. <laughs> and all the festivals are forts because they're not really put on by any one person or any one artist or any one group, but by everybody that shows up. And everybody brings their own little piece of it, and that becomes part of what we all grow to expect to see when we go to these things. And the bar has been raised over and over and over again to the point now that everything you go to blows your mind. And you just can't... Like I was just at Symbiosa, I thought... I can't believe these people do this much work. I just can't believe they build this huge temple out here in the middle of nowhere for three days. Why would they do this? To change the world. To change the world. They're, they're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, ins- inspira- inspiration's a huge drug, you know. <laughs> well, I think you might have just touched on this, but you know, the big question is why do you, uh, as artists and, and people who encourage art at these events, well, why do you do what you do with all the challenges that you face? I really believe that we're creating a utopia for six days. You know, We're creating the place that we really want to live in. And I think there's something really magical in that and very powerful that we all come together and live the best that we can. And I hear all the time, Shambhala changed my life. Shambhala changed my life. You know, It opens people up to things that they didn't even know or realize before and they walk away a different person yeah. mm-hmm. and I, I think the world needs a lot more of that so that's why I do it <laughs> I just I, I just the look on people's faces I mean I it's it you can't pay for that it's just the look when you see someone in complete awe and 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 the joy that you've brought to them and it's like I don't get paid for that but I can't cash that check but uh it's uh I, because it's I don't know why I, I mean that's got to be it because I I put myself and all of my friends through a lot of hell to make these things and uh, um, it's those moments of connecting connecting that I think that why I keep doing it. What what I found is I've I've worked on a lot of large projects and you know you work throughout the year and you work really hard and you think you've done something magnificent and you get out to Burning Man or any other place and you look at what someone else has done and you go how the hell did they do that <laughs> you know there there are some really fantastic artists and craftspeople and people with huge hearts that get out and work 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 you know and it's you know you walk you go home tired hungry your hands are bleeding but damn it you get up the next day and go do it and you know you you really want to make it happen because you want people to experience the wonderful stuff you conceive of yeah and i used to bring art to the events that i would do um because nobody else was doing that at the time and i wanted to do that um just because it was important to me to, to see art there at one point and now everybody seems to be bringing art to these events and now it's a matter of how to make the art that we bring to the events that's something that I still want to go back to my own event. In other words, I'm creating an event for myself. If I'm going to walk in the door and be happy to see the, the, the work that I've created, then everybody else is too. The problem is when you make the art, you can't appreciate it the same way because you know how it's put together, right, Peter? Oh, you know how the little things held together with gaffer tape at the top and wire down here, and that's not the code. But um, forget the code part. But uh, <laughs> Then you've got the fire marshal to worry about, right? With the, is that fabric fireproof? Yes, of course, sir. Um, he, he knows a lot about fire marshals. Joe was one of the first people to burn his own camp down at Burning Man. That's right. I know about fire marshals. But the point being, I think, is that um, we do it because we love to. And I think everybody in this room that's an artist does it because they love to, and they can't not do it. You know, you just called to do this and when you feel a calling to do something there's no choice it's not about the money it's not about do I have to do it to impress somebody you're impressing yourself and that's the only person you really can impress and everybody else is impressed cool too but um, but really it's just a calling to me I agree I think there's definitely moments I think where all of us are probably feeling like why? <laughs> you know, and and it's definitely a str- you know when when you've been up for months and not sleeping, but then you get out there and you're with your second family, and you get to take that moment to breathe and to watch uh, just everyone having an incredible time and to, and to walk through the crowd and uh, it's just you know I'm trying to repeat the the feeling that I had at the first concert that I went to I guess every day and it's it's incredible. Yeah. Until it's time to take it all down. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can imagine once, I, I think the art, 
art experience too isn't just the art it's the people that come themselves they've got their own dress they've got their own style and they really they're participants I hear it's not my festival it's their festival <laughs> I think that's fabulous that everybody feels this ownership over this place and this time and uh, yeah, yeah how are you guys seeing technology change what's happening with whether it's the art installations or the overall experience I mean you guys talked about virtual mapping yeah, the video uh, and mapping. RFID and, yeah. yeah, and we, we incorporate with video mapping. Um, so we transform the look of our stage. It can look like Lego blocks one minute and a pagoda from um, the east the next. Um, and we incorporate live dancers in that. So we've got shadow screens, dancers. Uh, you know, all of our surfaces are painted. Our pagoda looks like a bamboo forest, even though it's fence. <laughs> so we really try to layer all the different pieces of art in there. And I think it's super important for that wow experience. You know, once we took a laser, 40-watt YAG laser, took a hot air balloon, put a six-foot disco ball on the bottom of it, and right at midnight, we hit the laser, or we, the laser hit the disco ball, and there was laser refracting up into the sky and on the mountains and the trees. It was wild. You know, you, you have a moment like that, and you're like, this is why I'm doing this. <laughs> what, what, is it true that Shambhala would be the only festival that I can think of that is built in and lived in all year long? In other words, what yeah. else is like that right now? Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I, not what a other lot festival other... owns its own venue? They can build stages. Oh, yeah, country, country fair. fair. Bonnaroo does Bonnaroo. now, too. Bonnaroo. Yeah. But this is special. If you've ever been to Shambhala, this is really special. Well, we keep building on our art, and I think that's where we have an advantage, and a lot of other festivals have to come in, set up, and, and tear down. Um, yeah. Couldn't Luckily, Dad lets us <laughs> use <laughs> See, they build a big fort, and Dad's okay with it. <laughs> totally, that's actually... If we come up there, answered. will you teach us how to milk cows, too? <laughs> Sure. Yeah, collect the eggs too. <laughs> so I guess the big question now is, is since since the bar continually is being raised and and each, each time you go back you're getting your mind blown again and again. I guess how do you continue to motivate yourself to raise the bar and and what's next from your perspective? I love going to other shows. I mean, I, I like um, you know there's certain shows you guys mentioned Symbiosis, Lightning in a Bottle, Burning Man's an inspiration. Um, even the technology that's going on in Coachella is amazing, um, and and try to incorporate all those little things. I mean, I, I think with so many uh, ingredients, there's limitless combinations. So I, I don't think we've even hit the tip of the iceberg. Technology is getting so much cheaper with video mapping, RFIDs. It's it's really endless. I, I don't think there's any stopping. Well, <laughs> artists are getting way. artists are getting used to you're using uh, all the new tools that are out there, or even the old tools. You can go to the Crucible in Oakland and learn how to use arc welding and uh, plasma cutting. You can go to the tech shop and use laser cutting or 3D modeling. Uh, one of the pieces on Bliss Dance up at, um, or one of the pieces, three thousand pieces on Bliss Dance or uh, Truth Is Beauty were little covers over the LED lights that were uh, all made by 3D uh, printing. Yeah. There were little covers that instead of having a, an LED light spread the light out, it pointed it to a, a source, and they were just little covers that were printed out at the tech shop. Uh, and then there's uh, you know other tools that artists can use. Peter works with uh, some of the people for, that used to work at Pixar to create the uh, animation. So artists are beginning to use the technologies very adroitly uh, out there and and uh, you're seeing results that are incredible and these are the things that are not going to burn at Burning Man. They're the things that are going to come and go to your communities or go to your festivals. And they're open to collaboration. I was just going to say that we're talking about the technology like my stuff hopefully doesn't look so technologically advanced but like it's a it's to, to realize them it takes a lot of high tech yeah. stuff in the you know Autodesk inventor we use you know specifically and uh, um, but then I was thinking about what you said about um, getting there and it's not the right size but just a simple thing as having scale SketchUp drawings of the stuff yeah. and then placing it in Google Earth or like now right now at the Exploratorium they have a whole SketchUp drawing of the Exploratorium like I can place my piece you know virtually go oh, it'll fit there well, that's not in the fit you know simple it's simple basic practical stuff but that's kind of that's how I use technology I've got another how many for you. How many people here have then been to Symbiosis or any Burning Man, any festivals of this nature, any transformational festivals? Raise your hands high, please. Transformational festivals. <laughs> Were you transformed, and if so, by what? 
Have you words, passed the acid test? <laughs> <laughs> Not because very many. These, huh? We're going to get to questions in a second. What's on? Have been. Have been. Have been. Have been. Have been. Yes, have been. If you haven't been, you probably don't remember. But um, I'm making the point that many of these festivals that I've been to, and you hit two or three a year, you know, you can't afford, you're headwise to hit too many more than that. But um, they all have the same kind of elements, visionary art galleries these days, sculptures, uh, installations, video mapping, music, obviously, costumes, I think is a really interesting area for art these days. That's getting developed quite a bit, obviously. Um, uh Altars, temples, sacred art. I'd like to talk about that a little bit if we could. I mean, what does that role does that play in the future? When we're talking about the future here, because I'm wondering how can we outdo ourselves? I mean, there's going to have to be a new art invented, a new color perhaps. Um, and, uh, you know, something like Burning Man, I mean, I always said to myself, if I was really truly coming to America or tr- coming to Earth from another planet, that's Rabbit Land. Because where else could you not get noticed? You'd walk around, people would think, oh, yeah, cool costume. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's outrageous. How'd you make that? What kind of, you know, they'd have a good time. Well, I always said that David Best was the next best thing to Jesus we ever had at Burning Man. Ooh. For, for those of you who don't know, David Best was the, the gentleman that uh, created the original temples at Burning Man that uh, became so prominent there. And, and other groups have now done it. But, you know, that, that's another place for people to go pay respect to pay homage and you know get away from the rave scene for a moment and go think about what their life has been like and who they want to honor and those things have moved from fantastic huge things at burning man to little pieces we put in uh hayes valley right down the street here uh and we even put one in detroit and it was in Detroit about eight years ago. And it was a little David Best Temple. And these guys in those days were driving down the street with no rubber on their cars. They had no future in front of them. They're on, they're on steel driving down the street. And uh, these people took to this little temple because it became part of their community. It engaged them in civic uh, ideas. And one night, uh, this uh, junkie tried to burn down the temple. And all the other junkies stopped him. He said, what are you doing? This is our temple. You know, so it's that kind of inspiration that those things can lead to that help engage civic uh, activity in communities. Did they tag it? Uh, no, they didn't tag it. <laughs> but they're allowed to. You know, you can write write on these temples and leave a message or post a photo. Did it end up at the gathering of the juggalos? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so we are running out of time here, so I did want to take a few minutes to open up the floor to questions from the audience, of which we have quite a few. So we'll be passing a microphone around. Uh, we'll start right down front there, I guess. Hi, everybody. Thanks for all the great work that you do. I'm wondering what's the role of um, giving back? Besides giving to the people who are there, what kind of social activism are your festivals doing and how I know what Burning Man Foundation is doing, BlackRock is, but in general, across the board, what are some of the ways? Because I think that's the next step. The next step is to take the experience to people that can't be there, and whether it's uh, people that are special needs or whether it's people that are that can't feed themselves. What are you guys doing? I'll, I'll start with that one if you guys don't mind. Uh, this year we worked with, uh, with a group called RAM. Um, it's uh, essentially a mobile uh, medical unit. And uh, we set up out in the Coachella Valley. We opened it up for four days before we did the festivals, and we uh, saw over 4,000 people. Um, they had doctors every day. They were able to get their general eye checkup. So we're very involved just in the local community of doing things like that, working with uh, kids with disabilities. Um, you know, we, we give a lot of portion to our tickets um, to also to Flea's organization in, in Silver Lake, um, where Vince's son plays drums. Nice. Uh, at Shambhala, um, yeah, we've had, we we do lots. Where do I start? <laughs> we started the Shambhala Music Hall. We gave back to our local college. They were looking for $75,000 to complete the renovation of the music hall. Um, so we donated. Uh, we don't have sponsorship, but we have a $30,000 budget every year to give away things to good projects. A lot of, um, of kids-based events. We give to the food bank. You know, we really want to help people that may not be positively affected by the economic or the social boon at the festival itself. So 
So uh, there is a mandate. And we also see, we sent a whole team of our people down to Haiti uh, with the earthquake. I know it was a while ago, but um, we donated $5,000 to a birth clinic and midwives, and it's still running today. So that those dollars just pick up so much more speed, too, when you're talking about international dollars. So we're really interested in this element of, you know, $5,000 can go a lot further in Haiti than in our local communities as well. So I would also say that, you know, outside, and I definitely believe that being involved in the community is very important and giving back in that way, but just the events themselves... I know mm. that that you guys, I mean, it's the largest event in your community, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, our community is a village 10 miles away of 1,200 people. <laughs> yeah. So um, our economic generator is over $22 million into the local economy, and it's in quite an area where... You know, mining is shut down, forestry is shut down here in the BC wilderness. So um, I really think that we put the stamp of arts and culture on our province and on our region, and we've given it new life. And yeah. $22 million is significant. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, yeah. To be congratulated. Thank yeah. you. At Rex Foundation, uh, which again is from Grateful Dead, uh, we continually uh, uh, provide grants to startups, uh, people doing good work in the health, environment, arts, food-related. We fund a lot of music in schools at uh, concerts that are done throughout the year at various uh, concerts and festivals. Uh, But one of the most significant things we've done in the last uh, seven or eight years is we've started a program to teach schools, to teach uh, high school and junior high students about the International Declaration of Human Rights. And that is something started by Eleanor Roosevelt in 1947 uh, at the Ferry Building here in San Francisco. And it's a, it's a document, a living document, that is all about human rights. And it's, I hear it referenced more and more by international communities. And it's taught in schools now, and it's, uh, they have a curriculum that's spread. And uh, in Burning Man this year, there was a woman that came to me and uh, was telling me about uh, this program. She wanted to know how to get the arts uh, related uh, in her community in Fresno. And uh, it hit me that, you know, this would be perfect for this community of underserved people to learn about uh, the International Declaration of Human Rights. And they've taken this program and instituted it in Fresno now. Uh, with Burning Man, we provide uh, grants to artists uh, worldwide. We've funded uh, projects in China, Russia, South Africa, all over the United States to artists not creating art for Burning Man, but for creating art in their communities uh, in Homer, Alaska, in Detroit, or various places all throughout the world. Next question. Hi, I'm curious about the prospect of using technology to help people engage with art. Like one small example would be like, you can get a text message when this piece of art goes to another festival. And um, I think that would be kind of a a good way to increase the monetization value of it, especially if you're, in a sense, trying to move away from like alcohol as your primary income. And... um, I know that there are a lot of logistical challenges to that, but I'm curious if there's also just like a really strong cultural backlash against that from the artists. Just any thoughts on that? I don't really, you know, I don't think that we would necessarily look to to monetize the art that we have there. I think there's definitely something to be said about integrating the fan experience in those installations. You know, there's definitely some stuff out there, but I think that'll just continue to grow, you know, RFID has been around forever, but what we're just starting to utilize the technology for is definitely going to lend itself to, to you know whether people are being directly involved with the lighting for an installation and being able to change that on their phone or actually being taking part in the, you know, let's say you want to go to a show and you're able to con- get on your phone and you can control the lights. I think stuff like that is really awesome and is definitely going to start happening, but... I don't know if that answers your question, but... One of my favorite things that I've seen is um, just a message board, like, Susie, I love you. You can text, and it'll go up in the sky and and project. And I think those sorts of interactions are really fun. But, yeah, I wouldn't want to monetize those things either. I I recall working on virtual networks back in the early 80s when the Internet uh, just opened up after ARPANET, and there, there was this thing called the well, it started out a Sausalito from Stuart Brand. And the well uh, had this virtual community that was based of writers and some technicians and a lot of deadheads. 
and uh, it was a way for people to communicate uh, as you do now. You don't need to be in person. You can plan Homeroboros with Peter virtually online, and you can work throughout the week, and you can say, okay, you pick up this tool, you get that piece of wood, you bring that piece of metal, and you all show up on Saturday, and you've already thought through the process so that by the time you all get together, you can start working without having to figure out and reinvent the wheel, so to speak. Michael Ashburn, I'm a East Bay entertainment lawyer, and I want to say this is one of the greatest panels I've seen today. It's, uh, I think the intersection of art and festival is one of the most inspiring things that uh, there is on the event, uh, you know, kind of horizon today, and I certainly enjoyed Burning Man, and I've enjoyed Anand Salon, really had some incredible art back in the day, and you know that was really inspiring too. And I'm actually representing uh, a group of artists in Oakland that have uh, started a festival called Hyro Day, and uh, sort of advising them a little bit. And I'm just curious as to a couple things. One, um, the idea of reusing, and I think he alluded to it a little bit, since there's so much capital investment and time and talent going into some of these bigger pieces, I wonder if there's a, a, a clearinghouse so that people, artists, that may want to uh, allow those pieces to be repositioned at other events for a fee. Uh, I wonder if that's a possibility, number one. And number two, uh, what about the, the whole role of a festival art director? I mean, I know that you know, many producers of, our, of these events don't really have the background necessarily that would lend them to make these kinds of decisions as effectively as someone who's been down the path uh, many times before. And so I'm just wondering, are there people that I could might be referred to who may act uh, for, you know, as a consultant, would kind of work in that capacity? Well, I, I can answer that and say, yes, there are a lot of people. There, there, I can think of three or four people who've come out of the Burning Man world who have gone on their own to produce their own art management agencies, and they're using their own connections. At Burning Man, uh, there's a, a, a database of artists who have worked at Burning Man, and we're in the process of evolving right now. So Burning Man is turning from the LLC into the Burning Man Project, and that is going to be a clearinghouse that will encompass not only Burners Without Borders and Black Rock Solar, but Black Rock Arts Foundation. And the management of the art, as I mentioned previously, we're going to look at it going into the event as well as coming out of the event. And with that, we would like to work with artists and have a clearinghouse so that someone like yourself or someone that wants to produce a festival could come and say, you know, that artist worked for you. Uh, we would like to be connected to them, and we're setting that up. We just had a meeting with Telluride to do something uh, that's uh, coming up that it will be used that way. I'm a bit of a pirate. <laughs> we go to Burning Man, and, and we found Peter's Swimmers, and we said, come to Shambhala. You know, I went down to Lightning in a Bottle and met Super Tall Paul, who was just so funny and, and amazing. And I was like, you have to come up to my show. So now, the second year, he's been coming. So I'm a little bit of a pirate, I guess. I, I steal and pirates. borrow. Yeah, we are. We're all <laughs> pirates. It's really incestual. <laughs> yeah, totally. I, I kind of think I would like there to be, there isn't, it would be nice to have some sort of uh, organization of all of the artists, all of these different large-scale artists to work together because we're all... Or that would somehow pool our resources somehow, like legal or, you know, which is a big one. And like something uh, that promoters, I guess, kind of an agents or something like that, because we're all I'm for, sort of flying on our own. Don't worry, I'm not a businessman. I'm learning. <laughs> I know how to spend money and I don't know how to make it. <laughs> well, but, um, <laughs> we, we just got a grant last year that uh, we're starting to work on now through the Burning Man Project and Black Rock Arts Foundation from the National Endowment for the Arts, specifically for big art for small towns in Nevada and all these little towns like Fernley, Ely, all the little towns along Route 80 through Nevada. And the idea is to take works of art that have been created for Burning Man and reposition them in these small towns so that they can benefit and so people driving through can have be on the AAA uh, tour to go see the big art for small towns in all these places. And it's a significant grant. So that process is just beginning to unfold. We also have grants that we're working on in Las Vegas to work with uh, the areas in Las Vegas. And we've had connections in Florida for Art Basel and that kind of thing. So, yeah, that is in the works. 
And I'm also working on a, an idea of, along those lines because I build my own props for a lot of my own shows as well. I build a lot of my own props. I'm running out of room. I've got a garage in the Mission, so I'm looking for a bigger space to do that in. I actually went to rent a warehouse the other day, a garage, and three other people were there trying to rent the same garage, all burners, all trying to store their art. And I thought, ding, burners need a place to store their art. I need a place to store my props. Why don't we all get together, put this stuff together, rent that stuff out to other events, other festivals, other corporate events, make money on that as we're renting it, have catalogs, put that all together, kind of like a Hartman Studios, kind of like a Burning Man Hartman kind of a thing. Or just an art Hartman, take Burning Man out of it because Burning Man isn't the only people that make art in this city. And something like that is, is a, definitely a wish dream for me as well. This would be, well, of course, you couldn't do this in San Francisco anymore, but this would have to be as far away from, <laughs> no, probably Oakland, uh, Emeryville, South San Francisco. We're looking down there. It'll be something I look at after the first of the year, after all the festivals. This is my busy time of year. So, But I love this idea because, to me, where does all the art go? We had talked about this backstage. Burning Man has the great advantage of burning its art, <laughs> which this year caused a lot of controversy because there was some art that I really felt terrible about it being burned. And I'd like to address that, Burning Man. How can you guys burn your art so much? I mean, isn't that sacrilegious to, you know, like Peter even says, well, Peter makes his art out of metal. Therefore, he doesn't have to worry about this. But, but when you as an artist spend so much time creating something, it's got to really bring tear, tears to your eyes to burn it. I mean, I, in a way, I, I admire it. In a way, I can't stand it. But um, there you go. Well, unfortunately, we have run out of time. So uh, oh, no. we're going to have to end it here but thank you so much to the panelists for uh, joining us and for providing insight and we'll be hanging out for a couple minutes up here if you want to come up and ask any questions directly to the panelists thank you I do I'm just over here let me grab it Fred good to see you man